This is Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga, recorded at Halepule on beautiful Kauai. Each month we cover topics that can help you find balance in your life through food, good living, and the eight limbs of Raja Yoga. Learn more at halepule.com. And here's the show. Hello everyone, this is Myra. And Kelsey. With Halepule's Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga Podcast. Here at Halepule, we have a daily practice and encourage our clients and students to have one as well. And it's something that becomes very profound for them. It's a really powerful part of the transformation that people experience while they're here because it allows them to get the prana flowing. When I first came, I didn't realize how much prana can get flowing in a short, focused amount of time. I thought the yoga asana, the poses, had to take an hour and a half or two hours. So it's really fun to orient people in that direction. Many people think of asana, though, as exercise, and that is how I came to it. And again, I thought I had to practice an hour and a half or two hours to get the workout. It does help to keep the body healthy through activity, but it's not the only benefit nor one of the most important. What are the other wonderful things a regular asana practice offers? Well, When you practice with a sattvic attitude, meaning one that is meant to bring balance and harmony, then this is going to cultivate more sattva in you. So the mind will become more calm and the body will feel calm also. There's also the notion of consciousness. So when we practice with consciousness, it helps us to increase our awareness of our body and our awareness of ourselves in the rest of our life. We also need to realize that what we're trying to do is just come back to ourselves, come back to that eternal spirit, the the light that we are. When we practice with the sattvic attitude, then we are able to be comfortable in our bodies longer term. So we want the practice to be, uh, of course, have ahimsa. It means nonviolence, but what it really means is that we practice with respect and consideration for our body and not do things that harm it. And that's why we can practice throughout our life. And uh, we, not that we wear the body out or damage it such that we can't continue to practice asana in our later years. And a sattvic practice also supports coming into the vata time of life, meaning that time, oh, after the age of 50 or so, so that we can have a feeling of comfort and grace in our body. And this happens when prana flows, you know, when the energy, our life force is flowing through our body. So having a sattvic practice means that we keep our physical and mental and spiritual aspects in a good balance. And really this can only happen when we have a a strong relationship with our breath and then that breath as it connects to our body. And what all of this does is it helps us to energetically be in our body. And those are the things that will have us feel good and have more fun in life. I like how you brought up the breath because that was something I didn't really pay so much attention to in terms of the consistency and, and regularity of it in my practice. And then I was always pushing myself to the edge or beyond it. And I thought that's where the progress would come, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But from the beginning, you've been teaching 
to work two steps from the edge. And that that's where the strength comes, the flexibility comes, and then the true consciousness. So that was a really powerful aspect of the teachings for me was two steps away from the edge. Right. And that, you know, a lot of people have difficulty with that. And I certainly did in the beginning. I kept thinking I needed to go farther. If I go farther, I go farther. But uh, it needs to be a challenge and just an opportunity, though, to bring the mind and the body into into a strong awareness of each other. And, you know, we say we use the breath to master the mind, and then we use the mind to master our senses. And from Ayurveda, we know that the main cause of disease is disconnection from our self, from our innermost self. And we only do that when our five senses are, we'll say, out of control, <laughs> you know, that, that we're letting them run our lives. And, uh, and this really cultivates weakness in the mind. So all of this, you know, is ties together for not just um, improving our health, but also for self-realization, which again, is going to make life a lot more fun and a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. And all of the texts, they talk about um, moderation as that middle path. And so I mentioned coming to asana at, for exercise in the beginning, and it's really, it's been a real uh, long road to break that identification. And I still am actually. So I've been recently just setting a, a time limit for my practice. I'm going to spend this amount of time being very conscious and with my breath so that I can continue to optimize it and use it for the flow of prana and consciousness, but at the same time, uh, not relying on it in unhealthy ways that will actually inhibit my whole practice of yoga. Right. And so that, that what you described is, is beginning to practice from the inside out instead of from the outside in. When did you begin practicing asana, Myra? Um, well, let's see. <laughs> I did my first asana class in 1972, and uh, and the teacher was kind of smelly, and I <laughs> it, it it was a little bit too weird for me at that time, and so it took quite a few years before I came back to it. And that was in the late 1980s. Then I came back to it. And I came to it really to increase my flexibility and strength and to try to reduce pain in my body. And, and, you know, in the beginning, I didn't learn much about the breath. And I was pushing my body a lot, and it was hurting a lot. It was great that when I was able to start learning about the breath, and that's what made everything change dramatically. What changes stood out to you the most when you started? Well, the biggest thing was that my mind started to get more clear and more calm. And that actually wasn't my primary motive at all, although it, it did help with, with my body tremendously. You know, when our body is being taken care of in a balanced and kind and loving way, then we get the freedom from being distracted by the pain that it causes. And all of that just allows us to be present in life and to live a more full life. You know, it also had helped with my appetite because I had been very irregular with my eating because it was helping Agni. And I didn't really know this at the time, actually. But then my appetite started to get more regular so that I wouldn't go long periods of time without eating. It's fun for me because I do many of the orientations here at Hale Pule. And when people first meet you, they see how comfortable you are physically and how you can easily 
sit down on the floor using no cushions and get up from the floor using no cushions. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I actually always bring them back to the fact that you used to sit on a big stack, a big pile of blankets when you first started that you were so stiff and oh, yeah. that and see even when you start in your mid thirties or so things can change and you can actually become much more comfortable, much more flexible at an older age than yeah. when, when, when we're younger. Yes. Right. Exactly. Right. And I got taller too. I actually got to change my driver's license and I thought I had pretty good posture compared to most people uh, when I started practicing yoga, but, but uh, there was so much of me kind of resting down into my pelvis uh, that I got about an inch and a half taller, which is also a nice thing <laughs> because as we get older, we are shrinking. And, uh, and so it's nice to be able to just counter that so that you can keep a nice uh, pace of aging. You talked about sattva earlier, that a sattvic approach to asana will cultivate sattva in our practice and then in our lives. So our attitude then is a very important aspect to consider. What else is important to apply to our practice on a daily basis? Well, I'd like to comment about the attitude because the thing to remember is that the attitude is what represents what we're doing with our energy. So that means that's what we're doing with prana. How am I directing it? So, so keeping that in mind, then we can go to, for example, the yamas and niyamas. Those are really our best guidepost in terms of what yoga offers us and guidelines that we want to practice ahimsa and as it relates to asana practice, that we want to take care of our joints, that we don't want to lean into the joints and the poses, but rather we want to use the muscles and the bones to support the joints within their optimum range of motion. And that's what's going to bring balance to the physical body. And that we practice satya, for example, which is honesty. And that so that we're being honest with ourselves, you know, have I pushed myself to a place where I really can't breathe that well? And am I willing to back off so that I can breathe well, and then the body will respond in a much more positive way. And that we have an attitude of exploring each day, not to practice habit, but rather to, to practice uh, with a fresh attitude and realizing, you know, that the cells of our body are changing every day. And so we need to practice being conscious and present means that I don't practice habit, that I do pay attention, breathe, and then see how it feels based on the breath, not see how it feels based on what my mind is thinking. And we could go on there with the yamas and niyamas and applying them to your practice. So this is a great thing to, uh, for people who are practicing yoga in its truest sense is to walk through those yamas and niyamas and apply them to your practice and that'll make it easier to bring it out into your daily life. And for those who are new to yoga, generally what are the yamas and what are the niyamas? Uh, the yamas and niyamas are guideposts of how to conduct yourself, how to treat yourself and how to, to behave in the world. Uh, some people I know have a, a sort of a, compared them to uh, what a, the Ten Commandments and that, but and there is some similarity there. But there, but but these are guideposts of um, of what we know will cultivate life, which um, you know, which will bring us to that sense of self realization, and then ultimately allow prana to flow. Right. Yes, that's it. 
because the prana flowing is what will allow us to have, to be present and to have that self-realization. And that would be in the asana and also just in day-to-day activities, which is the purpose to have it be our whole life, not just meditation or the yoga asana or these individual practices. Right. Yes. It's about life. (laughs) Okay. Let's take a short break. And when we're back, talk more about the practice of asana. True health comes from a balanced body, mind, and spirit. Ayurvedic treatments using the power of touch, oils, and herbs have been used for centuries to support individuals to reach true health. Hale Pule's 75-hour Ayurvedic treatment training will prepare you to utilize these time-proven techniques to remove toxins, relieve stress, and balance doshas. This training will prepare you to work with clients in any setting, whether it is a retreat center, Ayurvedic physician's office, or in your personal practice. Visit halepule.com for details. We're back. We've been talking about the power of asana or the yoga postures. And Myra, you have a home practice now, and that's what we do here at Halepule. We support people to learn how to have a regular daily practice because it's truly most powerful when it's practiced, even for small amounts daily, because it's cumulative. And I actually don't even remember you ever talking about attending studio classes. Was that part of your experience? No, not really, because they really didn't exist. I mean, there were some Iyengar studios, and then mostly it was teachers. They might rent a space, you know, a few times a week or whatever. So there weren't commercial studios like there are now. I studied with one teacher and her teacher, and then when I moved, I changed because, you know, we didn't have the internet and all kinds of things back then. So the communication was a little bit more challenging. I used to write letters to my teacher and mail them and wow. then for a response. Uh, I remember the first time when I was going to India, I was told that, okay, well, you should write a letter to, this was to Patabi Joyce. And I wrote a letter, but they said, you won't get anything back. You just go and show up. <laughs> so, um, so that was great, actually. It required a little bit of trust. So after about four years of consistent practice, and I had been trying to practice at home, uh, but it was still really hit and miss and difficult. Uh, but uh, after going to India, then I was encouraged to practice at home right away. And, and really, after the second year of my practice, I didn't think of my practice as going to class. I went to class to learn something new or to get help with something specific or to see my friends or something like that. But otherwise, uh, right pretty early on, it was not about the class. It's really about my practice. So that's how I was taught. And that's how we teach also. Mm-hmm. And the studios, they do have benefits such as meeting like-minded people. And like you said, checking in with a teacher and having a sense of community, but ultimately how it was traditionally taught will bring the deeper results, one might say, or a broader range of, of uh, benefits. Well, I think one of the things that's important there to realize is that, is that, that it was a relationship so it wasn't just, oh, you drop into a teacher here or there and that, is that you develop a relationship with the teacher because you, they have something that you want. You know, they have uh, self-realization, they have connection to their higher self uh, that, that you would like to cultivate in yourself. And uh, that's how a teacher can 
you know, it's not about giving specific information necessarily, although that can be part of it, but it's more about inspiration and uh, shining a light on the path. So it's meant to be a one-on-one practice. And then just as you mentioned, having the relationship with the teacher, then you'd want it, you'd want to choose a class if you were to go to one based on the fact of the teacher being someone that you inspires you. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And it also allows the practice to be individualized more when you're working with a teacher directly or in, in supporting a home practice, either in general or in between classes. Exactly. And that's what it's meant to be because we're not all alike. It's just like we don't all breathe the same length of breath and we shouldn't be trying to force ourselves to do that. We're at different stages of life. We have different constitution. All of those will make a difference in what type of practice is really appropriate. Sure, we have a a group of poses that we know are good for moving prana and having effect on certain parts of the body and, and that, but that the practice should be a holistic one for that individual. It's a support tool for a spiritual life, but it, it doesn't make you spiritual, but it's something that will help you in terms of self-awareness, raising your consciousness and having a greater sense of yourself as spirit. And on that note of being holistic, it's not necessarily the time then to just choose all the poses that you really like and that you think you're best at, but to actually look at where are the challenges and opportunities mentally and physically, and then create a balance of things that feel uh, more, more smooth, maybe a little easier and things that are challenging. That's right. We need to move into the challenges of life. That's what helps us really step into our life. Otherwise uh, we get dragged along in terms of change as opposed to, being consciously the creator of of the change that comes in our life. There's still several poses that I feel like I would be okay not to practice because they challenge me in a certain way. And so I always make sure to have at least one of those per day in my practice Mm -hmm. to challenge my mind. (laughs) Well, some clients, they do want to attend community classes. uh, and, And sometimes that's the best option for them to connect in with the teacher. Ideally, they practice daily, even if a few poses. But if the daily home practice, what might you say would be a general guideline of how often to visit a studio or to get the input of a teacher by FaceTime or Skype? I would say at least every three months, but for a lot of people, especially earlier on, it would be good to do that monthly and weekly would be even more enjoyable. Especially if you're bringing in the yamas and the yamas, I I suppose, and the actual living aspect of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So sometimes it might be that you just, you know, talk to the teacher once a week or you know, that you have some kind of a meeting with them. But having some of that input just on any one small topic is a really useful approach because things really change if you pay attention to the, the subtleties and, you know, make a small change, work with it, make a small change, work with it. So having frequent smaller changes, I think, is really best for most people rather than a whole bunch of big things at one time. And then it ultimately is meant to be a lifelong practice and can be if one has a sattvic or balanced and harmonious approach. That's right. Some people choose to just stop when they get a little bit older, but it makes, from what I've seen and what I see of my own experience, you know, as people get older, 
we're really not meant to be sick. We're just meant to be older. <laughs> so, and what that might mean is, you know, yeah, as the body starts drying up and that, that we don't, uh, you know, pick up as many heavy things as we used to. And we might not do as much as we used to. But with Ayurveda, we can learn how to maintain our ojas, our vitality and, and uh, our immunity. And we learn how to eat and conduct ourselves in a balanced way so that we don't have to have disease. You know, older doesn't mean disease. It just means that we're coming to the later time of our experience in the body. And when we're not distracted by the body having all kinds of problems, then we're really able to to share our wisdom and our experience much more easily and have a lot more fun with it, definitely. We have people of all ages come to our yoga teacher training, and I just love seeing them come and they have these little pains all over and, and discomforts, and then they leave feeling so much better. Back pain goes away, knee pain goes away. And then as they keep us updated afterward and keep practicing in a sattvic and sustainable way, then they truly do end up becoming just more comfortable and more free as a result. Yeah, It's just so fun to see. I can't think of a time when someone has left here with increased pain or a pain that wasn't there before. <laughs> so of course, we're happy to work with anybody long distance uh, on your practice. We love doing that too. Uh, but for those of you who would like to choose a studio class to visit periodically, you would suggest talking to the teacher first and seeing what their approach is and if they resonate with the teacher? Right. I definitely, I would. You know, it's pretty risky if you pay some money and you go into a, a class, especially a larger one, you know, with a teacher who's trying to get everybody to do everything the same way. You know, that, that's not a great situation to put yourself in. So make sure that it's a situation that you'd want. So for example, that the teacher does provide adjustments and support during the asana and is not just standing up there in the front leading. You know, those are two different things. So you want a teacher that's going to be going around giving students attention and offering input even to the whole group based on what the teacher sees one or two or three people doing so that everybody can be learning and learning how to be more conscious. So the idea isn't to pay attention to the teacher. The idea is to pay attention to yourself and let the teacher provide some support and input. That's the kind of class that I would suggest looking for. And so, you know, talk to the teacher in advance about it. And a good important thing to remember too is that you don't have to do every single thing they say. If they're telling you to do something and it's painful or you don't, you're not thinking it's, it's quite right in terms of sustainability, then question it Yeah, or yeah. do something different. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. And the sign of a good teacher is when you do question it is one that's not going to just reject it, but that would either explain how she sees it or he sees it differently and then take it from there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, here we do have group classes because we have group events. One of the hallmarks of balanced teaching, one could say, is the ability for a teacher to have students be doing different things at the same time so that a certain backbend might be appropriate for the more experienced students, but someone else will start in a different place. The doing completely different things in a class is appropriate. Right, right. That's I always say that's a sign of a good teacher. One other thing that I think is important to consider with asana is what does it mean to progress? Because a lot of people think, oh, I have to be able to do these more advanced poses or, you know, have to be able to do certain kinds of things with my body. And I think it's very important to realize that based on everything we've talked about so far today, 
what progress and what development of my practice means is, you know, how much am I changing? How much am I bringing myself toward a, a state of balance and removing the obstacles to the flow of prana? That's something that once I came to understand that, then my asana practice really took off. And as you mentioned earlier, it was not no longer necessary to practice for two hours, you know, in that, that I could have a very deep practice in 30 minutes because of my level of connection to my breath and connection to the flow of energy and having that be my focus rather than trying to perform a pose. The other thing, too, is that change of attitude also brought about a change in attitude for pranayama, and then meditation goes much deeper as a result of that. That's what I would see as progress, and I think that's something that each individual can explore for themselves, and we can start to release that notion of comparing ourselves to other people and how much have I done and what's, you know, measuring in a way that's really not useful in this situation. Ultimately, then an indicator could be going from the seriousness to the playfulness or the lightness in practice and actually having fun in practice while being focused and committed, but also in life. Right. And that serious, it's interesting how what different meanings it has to people Serious in that it requires our focus, yes. Serious in that it has to be robotic, no. That's where we really want that lightness because that's when then when we really see the prana flowing rather than being mechanical in the practice. And you're right, at least from my experience, that's a lot more fun. And like you often say, life is meant to be fun. (laughs) Yeah, it's meant to be fun. We're meant to be happy, joyous, and free. And you can smile in the asana too. Even in the ones that are challenging. (laughs) Well, that's all we have time for today. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? I like to say to enjoy your practice. Enjoy means to be in the joy of it. Let it be fun. Well, thank you for joining us. And if you'd like to work with us to determine the best approach for you, we offer consultations in person and by phone, Skype, or FaceTime. Thanks so much for listening to Everyday Ayurveda and Yoga. Don't forget, if you have a question or a topic you'd like us to cover, just submit your question on Facebook or Twitter with the hashtag AskHaleePule. That's H-A-L-E-P-U-L-E. And if you want to go deeper on your own path toward health, book a consultation at HaleePule.com. In Ayurveda, we understand that we each have a unique constitution. Halipule's tridoshic approach is ideal for families and supports multiple constitutions. You can cultivate sattva in cooking, knowing that you're making meals that support everyone's constitution. Subtle adjustments may be required, but it doesn't need to be a stress point. To learn our tridoshic approach to create nourishing meals, Join Simple Ayurvedic Cooking with Halepule. The recipes are easy, delicious, and will leave you feeling energized. And the link to join is in our show notes.